Uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, June the 7th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the death of a, a former state senator, Bernie Sanders in Walmart, and the Little Rock Board finally approving an adjustment in the city budget. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Good afternoon. So, big news of the week, former state senator Linda Collins-Smith was found dead Monday at her home near Pocahontas. Well, this was a terrible thing, and of course, any killing is terrible, and then somebody's been in the legislature, it, it has just fueled everybody's imagination. We don't know much. Uh, her body was found Monday night outside her house on the outskirts of Pocahontas. Uh, she was wrapped in a blanket or a tarp. Uh, the cause of death has not been announced, and the initial reporting, none firmly sourced. It was said she was shot. They are not saying that now. That leads me to believe that the cause of death is not clear. Uh, <clears throat> but it's being investigated as a homicide. Oh, it's, a, it's absolutely being investigated. It's kind of hard to kill yourself and then wrap yourself up in a blanket. So, yeah. But th- th- there was a problem. She had been dead for several days. The body had decomposed. It took a while to identify her. That also complicates finding a cause of death when the body decomposes. They finally used dental records and perhaps fingerprints to identify her. But the big question is is who, what, when, why, where. And, and nobody's closer to that. I, I think... I think it is fair to note that she was divorced last year from her husband, who's a retired circuit judge. And, I mean, if you watch TV crime shows, you know that generally the first place people go is to a family member when something happens. Uh, They were divorced, and I should disclose it. It so happens that their divorce case was handled on special assignment by my wife, retired judge. But in any event, they were divorced last fall, but she appealed the property settlement, so there was a continuing dispute over the couple's property. So there's that. But I, I, I don't say any of this to point any finger. I'm just saying to the extent there's any known facts, those are some of them. However, I, I think I also need to say how crazy social media is. Since she's died, the national, some of the right-wing websites have picked on it because it a Republican senator was killed, and she was from Arkansas, so the Clintons must have had something to do with it. And there have just been these bizarre theories that have been circulated on the web that somehow she was investigating DHS spending. I mean, just just stuff that has no substantiation in fact of which I'm aware. But it's you've got an unsolved death, and so it just and people love conspiracy theories, so they've come up with all kinds of stuff. Uh, I checked state police today. I don't think they're close to announcing anything on this case. So, I mean, all of this is we just know that Linda Collins Smith is dead and by somebody else's hand, and we don't know who it was or why. Uh, well, in one of her last media appearances, wasn't it tied to <clears throat> a conspiracy theory with a QAnon? Oh, right. She appeared on the QAnon YouTube site, which is this sort of crazy conspiracy theory site that's dealt a lot in these bogus child sex ring rumors that they tried to tie to some Democratic National Committee guy. Now, when she was on, she she did talk about Sanctuary City. She's an ultra-conservative, and, you know, she's always out there about the— again. she's a big gun lover, of course. She said you can't be pro-gun enough, and she thought you needed more people with more concealed weapons for self-protection, which so there's at least there's sort of a note of irony in her dying in a murder after— I, I suspect she had a gun nearby because everybody thinks she usually did. 
she was also involved in a case, and I think this may explain these crazy theories about DHS and child protection, was she got real involved with Alan Clark in, in a in a case in Hot Springs and where some children were removed from a family for a time because of concern about their well-being. And Alan Clark adopted this as a, a crusade that the DHS had been unfair to the family, and I think Linda Collins-Smith got involved in that. So I think that was enough, and she testified at a public hearing about it. And I think perhaps that was enough to sort of put two and two together to get seven or something on some of this stuff. But, you know, I think, and let me also say this, and I don't want to, even the people who sent out the routine condolences about Linda Collins-Smith's death, I think you could read between the lines. The governor, who opposed her re-election, said she was very passionate about her beliefs. I mean, what you can read between the lines with that is some people didn't get along with Linda Collins-Smith and her political career. That's part of the reason she was defeated for re-election last year. So, I mean, I think you're crazy to make presumptions, but, you know, there all kinds of things can happen with people, and who knows what. But. She, she developed a reputation as, as one of, if not the most extreme Republicans in the legislature, uh, it's hard to remember that she was elected as a Democrat. Yes, her first it was she was first elected a Democrat, but she came over on the other side and said that you know the Democratic Party had left her. I'm not sure. I think she ran as Democrat originally just because everybody used to run as Democrats. I mean, she was a leader in the efforts to try and marginalize LGBT people. She was a sponsor of bathroom bills. That she was just she was opposed to the Medicaid expansion. She was she was just hardcore to the right, you know. And that, although the people out in that sector, and there are a number, they they loved her for that. Okay, well let's leave it there. Uh, bit of statewide news that uh, became national: uh, Walmart shareholders met in Rogers this week and heard from presidential candidate and U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders. And you know. I, the way that turned out surprised me a little bit. There's a there's a group of employees in Walmart that buy a small number of shares so they can be active in stockholder meetings and propose resolutions for management that are routinely rejected because the Waltons control the stock and they're not going to approve something proposed by these would-be union organizers. And so they invited Bernie to come and present their resolution this year, which was for the board to try and consider putting an hourly wage worker on the Walmart Board of Trustees. Needless to say, the company will not do that, said it would not favor that, and of course the measure was defeated. But And because it's such an obvious thing, I kind of thought it would be like most shareholder resolutions you know, one or two sentences in the roundup story of it was introduced and it was beaten. But the fact that a presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders, came to town to do it and was given three minutes to speak at the shareholders meeting and talked about corporate greed and excessive CEO salaries and income inequality and said Walmart ought to raise its pay to $15 an hour for everybody, got quite a bit of coverage around the country. The the company, their chief executive and uh their board chair both welcomed him at the opening of the meeting and he got his three minutes and there was really no at the end of the talk they said of course we love our associates and they tried to diffuse his message a little bit by having Doug McMillan the CEO say well you know we we really think that the way to deal with wage issues is for the feds to raise the federal minimum wage which is only 750 an hour 
which was kind of like saying, well, if you make us raise our pay, we will. I mean, like, so what? But but it kind of took a little bit of the starch out of Bernie. But in any event, I mean, what he said were largely things I agree with. I think paying a CEO a thousand times the the pay of your average worker is perhaps excessive. I don't think I've ever worked a place where the guy made more than four or five times at most the average worker, but or if that much. But it, but in any event, but it got a lot of attention. I, the Democrat Gazette, I think, put it on page one, which kind of surprised me to tell you the truth. And then followed up with an editorial today. Yeah. Uh, on Tuesday, the Little Rock Board of Directors finally approved Mayor Frank Scott's revised budget amendment adjusting the city's budget by about $2 million, $2.1 million for the rest of the year. Yeah, and it was not really clear what finally brought people around. Only only two things happened that changed what had been rejected previously. Again, the Chamber of Commerce lobby came back and with a proposal to reduce to 25000 the the budget reduction they're going to have to share in, uh, where it had started at hundred, I guess, or something, but, uh, and uh, sadly enough, that passed six to four, the notion that these six figure fat cats should not have to suffer like the 40 people that are going to lose their jobs under the budget cuts is just, it's insulting. I think particularly since they don't have anything to show for the money they, they, uh, they're paid out of, out of taxpayers pockets. And then the other thing was they approved a little something that said, well, if there is a little surplus money, it's going to be set aside in a way it perhaps can be used to restore some of the programs were cut. This was an idea from Kathy Webb. But in any event, they just went, I, I think they were just faced with the inevitability of it. It was interesting to me that they still are going to close two golf courses, but they won't say which ones they are. And I, I mean, I think we can guess that uh, First Tee will live and Heinemann and Moore Memorial will die. I uh, talked at some length yesterday with Mayor Scott on the phone. It wasn't exactly a on-the-record interview, but he, he insists that the golf course aren't going to be closed, they're going to be repurposed. Well, what is, I mean, what, is, what does that mean? I, I mean, if you repurpose them, it seems to me you're going to have to invest something in them to make them something else. But, and, and we had a, a, an interesting conversation. It wasn't particularly very fruitful. I mean, I mean, not for any fault of his, but the future for Little Rock, and he insists that there's going to be some great things coming, is is still that, so we balance the budget for the rest of this year, but what are we going to do about next year? And how are we going to fill the potholes? And how are we going to build infrastructure? And how are we going to do all the things that make this a city that people want to locate in? And that's, I think, without a tax increase, uh, it's going to be hard to accomplish. Yeah, well, might start hearing about potential tax increase. Well, I I think there's going to be a tax proposal. I, I think there's going to be... In 2021, the current capital uh, improvements tax expires. I, I think they will be building a Christmas tree development proposal for capital needs that will, they think will be shaped in such a way that it'll be popular. We'll just have to see. Okay. Um, Following up on an item that we've talked about in the past, the State Board of Education today asked a circuit court to order Valerie Tatum, the former head of the failed Covenant Keepers Charter School, to produce records it's been seeking or hold her in contempt of court. 
Well, this is just a big mess, and, and they say that she just hadn't fulfilled the requirements of the law to provide a full accounting of how the money was taken in and spent at this charter school that finally they pulled the ripcord on after financial and academic failures. Uh, her lawyer, she's hired noted criminal defense lawyer John Wesley Hall, I noted, to represent her because there had been a report that she had withdrawn $188,000 from the school's bank account after she was no longer employed there and the money was gone and that's why the subsequent operator said they had to shut the school down. Uh, she says she's given them all the records she has and that she's accounted for the money and she has done no wrong. Uh, what they've asked for today is something called a subpoena ducus tecum, which means ordered her to appear and comply, and so at least they're going to get a day in court for her, I would think, or else risk being sent to jail by the judge. That's the that's the hammer from a contempt proceeding. So we'll see. Uh, this, is, this is somebody that was not successful managing that school. She was not successful producing results in the school. She ran for city board from the wrong residence. She filed campaign finance reports for the city board that were problematic, to put it mildly. I think somebody made an ethics complaint about that. We don't have on the record an explanation where the 188000 went or where some furniture that's supposedly missing from the school went. Uh, this is somebody that I can't help but note got defense from the school choice charter school lobby. Uh, Jess Askew, a lawyer who's active in all the Walton Foundation charter school efforts, uh, viciously fought the loss of her charter back when it was clear that school was, was not operating properly. Uh, members of the Little Rock Chamber of Commerce business establishment supported her for city board because of she was a charter school operator, and they don't like Ken Richardson. Well, Ken Richardson beat her, and thank goodness. I mean, I can't believe we wanted her on the city board. So, I, you know, it just uh, shows you sometimes you maybe need to do a little more due diligence over the people you back sometimes. Okay, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What Man, got I've, got, I've got an endorsement this week, wholehearted. Have you heard of the Netflix series called Remastered by the Zimbalist Brothers documentary? No. They started a series of eight documentaries last year on musical figures and untold stories about them, sometimes associated with death. Bob Marley, Run DMC. They apparently did one on Johnny Cash's weird relationship with Richard Nixon, which now I'm going to have to look up and see because what I watched this week was their latest called The Two Killings of Sam Cooke. And it was not, it's an hour and 14 minutes. It is knocked out fabulous. The, the, the interviews were great. The archival film was great. And it indeed, I mean, it. students of Sam Cooke, who was killed in 1964, might have known some of this, but it was all lost on me. All kinds of stuff I didn't know. And, and it was, the two killings were number one, his killing by a motel manager after he'd gone there with a woman who turned out to be a hooker. But the family thinks the true story's never really been told. I mean, it was ruled a justifiable homicide. The other killing was he was killed right on the cusp of becoming potentially a really great civil rights leader. He had It recounts a meeting he had in 64 with Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, and Jim Brown, the football player. And he was starting to really get into the civil rights movement. And, and he refused to play in segregated halls in the South and he, I mean, he really 
got out there ahead of his time. And what I didn't know was his incredible anthem, The Change Is Gonna Come, mm-hmm. wasn't released until after he died. No, oh, wow, I didn't know I, that. I didn't, I hadn't, I had lost that completely. And of course, he had a string of hits. He was, he was screwed by white lawyers and accountants is all of the so even but he was smart and he set up a publishing company he was on his way to being really big but he got taken advantage of like a lot of people did and so you just learned about just this and he was incredible i mean he was just this unbelievably gifted artist but the two killings of sam cook it is worth your time okay that's great well i have a, another netflix recommendation that i endorse far less wholeheartedly uh, in fact, I only endorse it if you happen to be somehow under the influence late at night and <laughs> just want 20 minutes more of something goofy to watch. And it's uh, The Lonely Island's The Bash Brothers Experience, new Netflix special. The Lonely Island is uh, a Saturday Night Live offshoot, uh, Adam Sandberg and Akiva Schaefer, and I think there's one other guy. They They... Uh, do Saturday Night Live, or they started doing Saturday Night Live um, sort of jokey raps, and they became pretty big. I think they tour around. But anyway, this one is all uh, Andy Samberg plays Jose Canseco, and Akiva Schaefer plays Mark McGuire, the Bash Brothers, during their Oakland A's heyday of the late 80s, which coincided with my peak interest in baseball. And of course, they were famously uh, juiced. Juiced and, and came down, and so there's lots of jokes about doing steroids and living the high life in Oakland in the 1980s. It's pretty funny. That was a, you know, funny. I, this is you bring to mind on Twitter this week. Somebody posted a picture of Mark McGuire in his early days at the Oakland A's with uh, uh, Bill Murray, and Bill Murray looked more muscular yeah. at that at that point. Yeah, Marvel Guard was pretty wiry. Just yeah, I mean, he he changed yeah. <laughs> pretty dramatically. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes or wherever you find fine podcasts. We'll be back. See ya. <laughs>